Welcome back. This is Jesse, creator and host of Hack My Business. Thanks so much for listening and supporting the show. As we get ready for season six, which will be coming out later this spring, we thought that we would spend the next few weeks on a special bonus series. We will be revisiting some of our favorite episodes with some amazing women CEOs. There has been an incredible rise in the number of first-time women business owners, and we want to make sure that you get a chance to hear directly from founders who have been there and done that with their own businesses. I hope you enjoy it, and let us know if you have any ideas for future episodes by reaching me at jesse at smallbusinessfront.com. Thanks again for listening. I think that advocacy and speaking up for people who aren't being heard is a really important value of mine. So I think I tend to step into that when either somebody else isn't doing it or when I feel like I have something unique to say. And I'm lucky to be in a city like Oakland where there are a lot of people doing a lot of advocacy already and a lot of organizations who do work for all kinds of things that are important. It's no secret that the coronavirus is affecting all of us as individuals, but the effect it's having on business, especially small business, is unprecedented. We need a game plan, and fast. If we're going to survive this, we need resources and we need each other. We can't do it alone. I'm Jesse Torres, and this is Hack My Business. With my background in economic and workforce development, disaster preparedness, and general business strategy, I know I can help you navigate this scary time in your business and beyond. It's all about resiliency. I'll have the most current solutions and best practices available so we can ensure your business not only survives this crisis, but thrives once we start moving forward again. Co-hosting with me will be my colleague, Sid Varakura, principal of 10-Page Memo. We'll have invited experts to help us navigate through the current noisy landscape of resources and programs that are being made available today and who will be able to prepare us for tomorrow. Let's do this together. I'm Jesse Torres, and this is Hack My Business. You're listening to Hack My Business in partnership with Avant House Media. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to like and leave us a review of your thoughts on the show. Welcome to Hack My Business, a podcast designed to help entrepreneurs hack to success by giving you the best tools, tips, and access to experts that can help you to launch and grow your business. My name is Jesse Torres, creator of Hack My Business, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sid Rockera. Senior Vice President for Strategies 360. Sid, how's it going? Hi, Jesse. I'm doing well. Well, you know, it's great to have you on, man, as my co-host. But I definitely want to you know, bring in our, our special guest for our show today, Gail Lillian, who is a, a good friend, a, a serial entrepreneur, restaurant owner, and business coach. She's a facilitator in training for Stanford's MBA program in the Department of Organizational Behavior and a regional advisor for the Small Business Development Center Network, providing support to small business owners across Northern California. She also volunteers as a mediator, facilitating conflict resolution in corporate and community settings. I know her best as someone who's been a great go-to resource for me when I was there with the governor's office. I know you've had a chance to connect with her. Uh, you know, folks up in Northern California probably recognize her name best in association with their famous cafe, Liba. And, and I know there are many that tip their hat to her when helping to launch the food truck scene. She's just, you know, a great, wonderful person and, and definitely a, a longtime business advocate and thought leader when it comes to small business advocacy. So I'm excited to bring her in to talk about things like, you know, the restaurant industry right now, you know, how she's approaching work on leadership and uh, just her general thoughts about the, the current situation. So, so let's get into it. Gail, welcome to Hack My Business. 
Jesse and Sid, it's always great to talk to you. I'm so sad that we're not actually meeting in person. You know, it's been so long since uh, yeah. I've been able to get to Oakland. But yeah, it's definitely great to hear your voice again. I hope you and Sal are doing well. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, navigating it like like the rest of the uh, the world right now. Some ups and downs. Well, Gail, um, you know, you had a chance to speak since you started your your role at Stanford and what a time to begin that role with COVID. So I actually want to ask you one of the things that we want to start the show. We like to start the show with a quick business hack for our listeners, something to help them improve their business processes or strategies and would love to know what hack would you like to share? Probably in every class I teach to small business entrepreneurs, I talk about using apps for to-do lists. That's really, I feel like that's at the heart of every entrepreneur's day is staying on top of tasks. And it seems like kind of a simple thing, but a, a lot of people don't have a way that actually works for them to stay on top of the things they need to do and ways to really have a foolproof method for not letting any tasks fall through the cracks. So I encourage people to find an app that works for them and to set up reminders all day if needed, but things that are going to pop up on your to-do list. Um, For instance, I I go to a restaurant and there are orders I need to put in every day. And it seems like something I'm not going to forget. I do it five days a week, but I have a to-do that I actually have to check off. That's going to pop right back up on the next day, telling me who to order and what inventory to check. And I don't know how I would survive without it because getting that minutia out of my brain really allows for creativity and problem solving, which is really where I'm, I'm best place in terms of my role in my business. I love that because it crosses all sectors, regardless of what business or industry you're in. That's such an important part of our just day. And I'm curious if as a follow-up, what ways do you recommend or how do you prioritize what needs to get done? Because it's so easy to just kick something down the road, right? Yeah, it really is. And, you know, as the boss, I, it it all falls on me, so I can't kick it very far. Let's just say that road is a dead end. (laughs) So, you know, I think prioritizing is one of the things I really enjoy about business. I think I have the privilege of saying that because I'm good at it, but I know that a lot of other business owners don't always put the real things that should be first first. And I think that really takes a lot of discipline. It, it can't be what things do I like doing? Although I think that that really does play into it. I do my prioritization really based on a lot of things. First of all, what's an emergency, of course, like what has to get done or things are just going to be broken. And somewhere along the line of figuring out the priorities, what comes into play is my energy. There are times when, for instance, if I'm working with customers all day at the restaurant, I know that I can't do data entry after that. My brain is fried. I've been using a very particular part of my personality. And at those points, I'll do creative work. I'll do design. I'll make signs. I'll, you know, change something about, you know, graphic layout for some sort of materials that we have, just kind of lighter things. So I pay a lot of attention to how how effective my brain is at any given moment. And I, 
I really want to encourage entrepreneurs to kind of have that license to to choose to not do something when they're not going to be effective at it as long as it's not urgent and come back to it later when they're feeling fresh. Thanks for that, Gail. And I hope I take your sage advice there <laughs> when I how how I plan my day. You know, I think Jesse and I both know you as someone who is who wears and has worn many different hats in your life. And I think the hat that I'm most familiar with are are those of restaurant owner, food trendsetter, and uh, and business advocate, and and now really an entrepreneur and advisor. I'd love it if you could just share a little about your entrepreneurial journey and what's been of your proudest achievements. Oh, wow. Well, my entrepreneurial journey, a hero's journey, really. (laughs) No, I'm I'm kidding. Uh, You know, I think one of the real turning points for me as an entrepreneur was going to an entrepreneurial center. This is 11 years ago now, uh, Renaissance Entrepreneurship Center in San Francisco. I went through their program when I was looking at opening this business and trying to figure out how to how to do it right. And I had a really distinct experience sitting in the classroom and realizing that I was with like-minded people and that I just had never been in a room full of entrepreneurs before. And, and what had led to that was that I had years and years of coming up with ideas and getting really excited about a concept for a business, all kinds of different businesses. And I would see it through and I would test it and, you know, I I would kind of run all the tests and run it through and see whether it was going to be viable. And I would decide, oh, this really isn't viable for whatever reason. And each time I went through it, I would share that I was really excited about my newest business idea with, with various friends and they didn't really get it. What I took in and what I kind of internalized was that maybe I wasn't somebody who followed through. And that was hard for me. I, I felt like it made me look wishy-washy when I otherwise didn't identify with that at all as, as a personality trait. And when I got in this classroom, I realized, oh, I'm just an entrepreneur. <laughs> and it, it was really liberating and something I've really just grown to love about myself, that I come up with ideas and that I might give up on them or I might decide to go a certain direction and then I pivot and change. And I actually think that's a really strong character trait in, in a business person. Did you have anybody at Renaissance that was coaching you along the way or, or did you just find that internal kind of strength on your own? No, I just found it on my own from, from really being surrounded by the other students. It's a great program, but I, I really, things just kind of locked into place for me. Another direction in, in answer to your question is that I, have always been really, really independent. I haven't been the best employee in the jobs that I've had. Not that I've been a total hack or anything, but I have a lot of ideas about a lot of different departments in a business, business and financial and customer service and hospitality and company culture and all of that. And I, I, to this day, do my own books. I do my own graphic design. I'm the executive chef for my restaurant. I come up with our policies, all of that. I really enjoy holding the reins on all of those different parts. So I think it was just natural for me to to end up owning a business and really owning a few businesses now, but the restaurant being the main one. And can you share a little bit about what led you to Liba and and how that started? I've always been in the food industry. I, I wanted to own a restaurant when I was a little, little kid. I've always been super excited about food. 
And funny and true story is that I just realized in the last six months the difference between loving food and loving cooking. (laughs) And after all of these years, it just occurred to me that I don't love cooking. I love eating. And (laughs) it just never occurred to me to separate those two things because my way to being around food, to looking at food, to smelling food, to eating food was to cook. And it, it didn't occur to me that people, when they say they love cooking, that they actually love cooking. So I can say now that I don't love cooking, but I love being around food. I love being in the business of food. I was traveling around Europe in the year 2000, and there was a little hole-in-the-wall falafel shop. They had a little area where you could add some of your own toppings. And I thought, wow, nobody is doing this in the Bay Area. It's like the one food that is not a falafel bar that is is not being done in the Bay Area. Um, There's plenty of falafel, but it's wrapped up in a lavash. The inspiration was really the toppings more than the falafel. People always think it's funny that I'm not a huge falafel lover, but I love the toppings. So I, I, over the years, you know, worked on this concept and tested it and explored it. And I was doing other cooking jobs at the time. And then finally, I was ready to make it a, a plan. And I finished my Renaissance program the week that the economy crashed in 2008, literally the same week, October 2008. And I had been planning because I had also just finished pastry school. I'd been planning to open a bakery concept. I was planning to do the falafel business later for various reasons. And when the economy crashed, I thought, well, this is a really good time to open a falafel truck because the investment is a lot lower and uh, the rest is history. We've really rebranded in the last year or so as a um, into a salad bar and pita shop and don't have falafel in our brand anymore, but it's still very much on the menu and a really popular part of what we do. And can you share with folks who aren't familiar with Renaissance exactly what, what that program is? It's entrepreneurial support. They have a few different locations, um, Richmond, Bayview, Soma in San Francisco, at Richmond being the town, not the neighborhood in San Francisco. So a couple different towns and They provide entrepreneurial support for people who are going into business and some support and workshops for people already in business. And they really help. The program I went through, which is their 10-week business planning program, is that I ended up teaching over the last few years, is to develop a business plan, the actual document. So there's a lot of support. There's finance teachers and marketing teachers and then the main business management teachers, uh, which is what I became. And they're committed to helping low-income and socioeconomic diversity across the people who take their programming. So it's a great program. Well, I got to give them a lot of credit because your food is delicious. And I say this <laughs> as a uh, as a customer, you know, also as a friend, but uh, definitely just hands down some of the best falafel I've ever had. And uh, I always feel fortunate that I had the opportunity to actually sit in your restaurant and eat there because it was it was really great. You know, it's interesting that in how we got connected was really through my time there at the governor's office. And I know you, you know, speaking of different hats, as really an advocate. You know, I think when we first met, you were still very active with Oakland Indie Alliance. And I believe it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, 
but I think we connected over trash or, you know, as a, as a, as a policy issue. <laughs> and as we're, one does. <laughs> as one does. I think you had reached out to me about, you know, getting engaged on more kind of statewide policy or things that impact the small businesses at large. And it was really kind of, a, I think, a, a, an out of the blue email that led to a phone call and an eventual meeting and just kind of a meeting of the minds. But, you know, can you talk about that? You know, what, you know, some of that work that you did around advocacy and, you know, how you got engaged in that kind of work. And do you still believe or find yourself advocating at, you know, at this stage in your career? I think um, people who advocate always advocate. I, I think that's probably just more about who somebody is. And, you know, it waxes and wanes whether I'm actually really actively involved in any active efforts. We did meet that way. It's funny. I was looking up to see what our initial communication was because it's been so many years and I reached out to you to, because somehow I found you online through through your position at the state and wanted to get more of an understanding of how a small business is defined by the state of California. Because like you said, I was working on this trash contract, really the compost part of the contract that the city of Oakland had signed without any restaurants in the room. That being an important inclusion or exclusion because Restaurants are the biggest commercial outputters of compost. And the city of Oakland uh, back then, I think it was 2015, 2016, had signed the biggest contract in the whole history of Oakland with Waste Management, the, the company. And they had really sold businesses down the river. I mean, it was the compost rates for restaurants just went through the roof. And I fought it, and it was really the most active, large kind of protest that I had ever done through a lot of different channels, speaking to administrators, speaking to city hearings. We had a, brought trash and compost bins to the steps of City Hall and did a um, press event on television. And um, in the end, we got them to overturn the contract, which had already been inked. So it's not an easy thing to do. And it was really a great story in the small, small person, small guy speaking up and um, getting things changed to get those rates reduced. Because really, businesses were compensating for residential rates. Residential had gone down, comp- commercial had gone up. And... It was really satisfying work to do and really had, uh, you know, you mentioned the Oakland Indie Alliance. I'm a co-founder of that organization, which is now hundreds and hundreds of businesses strong and not just restaurants anymore, and has been just a huge support for me and for all the members who have been active in it during this COVID time, because I think networks and associations are so important at a time like this. I haven't been doing much advocacy during this period because I'm really in survival mode, to be honest with you. You know, I'm, I'm one of the restaurants that everybody's reading about and trying to figure out if I'm going to sink or swim. But I, I think that advocacy and speaking up for people who aren't being heard is a really important value of mine. Um, so I think I tend to step into that when either somebody else isn't doing it or when I feel like I have something unique to say. And I'm, I'm lucky to be in a city like Oakland where there are a lot of people doing a lot of advocacy already and a lot of organizations who do work for all kinds of things that are important. Gail, I think when you talk about advocacy and started by sharing that advocacy is in your blood, 
I think that's really true. And so I'm curious how you motivate and mobilize those who it may not be in their blood, but it is their bottom line. What do you do to try um, to get folks to really understand the power and importance of advocacy? Because I guarantee you, while you were doing all the hard work on that particularly ordinance at the city of Oakland, there were yeah. N equals 150, 200, I don't know how many restaurant owners who it just was not registering, right, on their radar, yeah. except for the fact that you brought it to their attention. So I, I, I really am curious from an organizing perspective, how do you do that? How do you get others to mobilize and understand the cause is personal? Yeah, that's a really great question. And many before us have, have toiled over how to achieve that. I think part of it is something that's really hard to overcome, which is getting people to understand the, their own agency, getting them to acknowledge that they have a valuable voice, that they have a valuable story, that they can step into agency and empowerment and get something done. I mean, you know, we all hear a lot of stories about people who didn't know they had it in them moving forward and becoming a voice for a community. And I think that every person's story about how they stepped into that is probably different. But I think that, I mean, it starts with communication, right? Having the person who's trying to make the community understand the impact on them, communicate it really clearly and really effectively. So whether that's one-on-one, -on -one, you know, going door to door, which I don't think works very well because nobody wants to open a door to anybody, but, um, you know, whether it's holding meetings or forming connections through small groups, whatever the method is to get the communication out, making sure that the communication really speaks to the way that the receiver is listening and what the message is that's going to get through to them. I really think it's about, you know, a lot of this kind of messaging when people are trying to get the other, trying to get people to realize how it affects them, the message isn't really delivered the right way. Like it's not, they're not getting at the heart of it. So I think that's really important. I, I think that's a great way of approaching advocacy because it's not about mm. trying to get people to meet you where you're at it's about trying to meet yeah. them where they're at and starting yeah. there. Yeah. Gail, I know that, um, you know, what I remember most fondly is uh, during my time at the governor's office and just getting to know you and, and your work and, and that of your, you know, your husband, Sal, is our conversations that we would have in different food eateries around town and where you guys were really kind of showing me, the, you know, the city and, and um, you know, some of the culinary experts out there, but also just, the, you know, the conversations we would have on all kinds of different topics, you know, a lot many touching upon um, the industry, you know, the industry that you guys are in, the changing face of restaurant and food. You know, I had to say that you know, back then, I always remember the conversations really being kind of negative, you know, your thoughts about that things were changing, changing fast. It was really uncertain. And where you both were, you know, really kind of saying there's something to look out here about, you know, there's something happening and we're not quite sure how it's going to end up, but things are changing. The way people are eating or eat are changing, how food is being made is changing, the way um, property is being done and the establishment of restaurants. So already you had this kind of early premonition that things weren't quite right. 
now we find ourselves in the middle of this crazy pandemic, you know, where restaurants and retail are really being hammered by the shutdowns. And so now I'm just really curious, you know, where, where do you stand on all of it? You know, what do you see? How has the pandemic shaped your view on things? And what's your thoughts about, you know, the restaurant industry and what it holds for the future? It's pretty bleak is the answer. It's been, as you're reflecting, things have been really, really hard for a really long time for the restaurant industry. And I think back then what you and I used to talk about was, I think the kind of the crux of the problem was that everything had gone up in price. The, the price of everything had gone up, but the customer expectation of how much they should pay for their food has not gone up at, at an equal rate. So people are still expecting, you know, a, a 10 or $12 lunch, but we're, that's just not where we should be at. Um, that's just an example, but you know, food prices have gone up, rent has gone up, um, everything's extraordinary for the restaurateur, but we can't charge what we need to charge. So then here we get thrown into, and also, of course, that trickles down to not being able to pay our staff enough, which is a really big problem. I mean, labor is, labor is the biggest problem um, for, you know, on the ground for, for the restaurant owner, because it's really hard to attract people to work there because the pay is low because we're not bringing in enough money. And then we get thrown into shelter in place and COVID. And I think that it's going to be really interesting seeing how restaurants come through this and really how society comes through this in terms of how we eat. I think there will be a lot more delivery, which I hope translates to delivery companies being able to lower their commission rates, which you probably know is about 30%, whereas restaurants make 5 to 10% in profit. So the 30% that we have to pay out in commission is, um, that math doesn't work. A lot more delivery, a lot more pickup. Uh, I would love to see restaurants be smaller. I, I get so nervous for big footprint restaurants, which tend to be fine dining. And I'm not really sure how fine dining is going to come out of this. I think that they are going to have the biggest pivot of all to make. It's one thing for me to pivot. I, I sell salads. Those deliver very well. They're great for takeout. I don't lose very much by not having a dining room that I can host people in. But fine dining, there's a, a price that's attached to that plate, and part of it is service, right? So they're not going to be able to provide that service probably I think in the near term, over the next year, what we're going to see with fine dining is they're just going to take out a lot of tables from their space, and they're going to have these big kind of cathedral halls where you're going to walk in and have a huge amount of space around your table, which is going to feel amazing for the customer. There'll be a lot more privacy for the customer to be able to, to have a sit-down experience without people right on top of them, but it's just not going to be affordable for the restaurateur. And does that mean they're going to have to raise their prices more so that they don't lose their business? Or another thing that might happen is that that same fine dining restaurateur may create another concept out of their space that works for delivery. So maybe they do fine dining, let's say they make steaks and pasta, but they're not going to send a steak over delivery. It's going to keep cooking and the delivery, you know, nobody's going to want to pay for that thinking off the cuff here, but they take that same steak and they cut it down and they make some sort of sirloin dish that's mixed in with other things and it travels better and they stick a different name on it and they have a delivery presence, like a virtual kitchen. Are you familiar with virtual kitchens? Because those are pretty amazing. What exactly is that? 
So virtual kitchens are a new thing that started a few years ago, and there are a few different companies doing it, um, creating these spaces, but they're, they tend to be really big warehouse spaces and the restaurant, I'm putting restaurant in quotes, the restaurant concept has their own unique space. So it's not shared space, but they're sharing some amenities at this warehouse. The main thing being that the warehouse is really optimized for delivery drivers to come pick up the food. So there might be an expediter who sits in front and all of the food from all the different concepts in the warehouse gets brought to the expediter and the expediter deals with getting it out to the delivery drivers who are constantly showing up at the warehouse to pick up that food. So I think that's a really neat idea. It allows a concept to to not have the price and the labor around hosting in a dining room, but it allows them to still do delivery and still create a brand and have that brand live online. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like, you know, that the ones that might survive the best are the ones that are the most innovative. What other innovations are you seeing out there and, and how have people, you know, look to pivot their business model? And then just a question, you know, for those of us that really want to support our local restaurants, you know, I have a restaurant just down the street from me that's uh, owned by a young couple that obviously is struggling right now. Like, what is the best way that we can support them if we want to use like app technology? Or do you recommend that we just, you know, literally just go there, you know, but what's the best way that we can do that? It really depends on the restaurant. Some restaurants, my restaurant, for instance, my pickup technology, I don't pay anything extra for. So I want people to order pickup through me. I don't have to pay a commission to anybody. But some restaurants, when they're operating pickup, their pickup is through DoorDash or Uber Eats or whoever. So it, it really depends on the business. And I would just ask them. I would just say, hey, we want to support you. How do you prefer that we order our food? And they will have an answer. They also may appreciate you buying gift cards. If they're selling gift cards now, just put some cash in their pocket. It really depends on the business. And there is something I wanted to respond to at the beginning of what you just said. You were talking about people pivoting. One of the things that I'm really secretly hoping, it's not secret now that I'm saying it on a podcast, but one of the things that I'm really hoping sticks is that we are seeing so many support mechanisms for underserved communities between homeless and seniors and low-income persons. We're seeing so many programs where restaurants are being paid either through a nonprofit or through the city. The restaurant's being paid and people are being fed by that restaurant. And it's creating a huge revenue stream for restaurants over the last couple months, some of whom would be operating if those programs weren't hiring them to make these meals that are then being delivered to the underserved communities. And I have to think that I, I can't imagine at the end of this, once we've recognized that those people need food, that there's going to be a day when those programs just stop. So I'm really hoping that this introduces another level of support that is just part of society from now on. And I'm, I'm going to be watching that and, and really hopeful. Yeah, me too. You know, a big, yeah, as you know, a big advocate for minority businesses and those that are underserved. Yeah. And in many ways, it is refreshing to see a lot of attention because I think now people are waking up as far as the importance of those businesses to the, you know, to the lifeblood of the state and, and the economy. But I really hope it continues on and that it doesn't end when the pandemic ends, you know. So, yeah, I'm looking forward yeah. to seeing how that evolves as well. Yeah. And to be clear, I'm talking about that would be great if that continued for the restaurants, but I'm especially I'm especially interested in wanting it to be continued for the people who are receiving the food. 
that's what I'm really excited about is that people are being fed and not having to pay for it who otherwise wouldn't be able to pay for full meals. And I'm, I'm hoping we find a way for that to continue. One thing we like to do is ask our listeners if they have any questions in advance of the show to see if there's anything that we can help address, you know, to help them hack their own business. And so we received a, you know, a few different questions from folks that we reached out to who are just, you know, very interested in your, in your work and your business. And so, you know, just picking one that I thought would be definitely on top of everybody's mind right now as we think about virtual business models. And this comes from Leah out of uh, Sacramento. And she's really asking, you know, how have you approached the virtual space, the online community? You know, what, what has changed for you as far as how you're engaging with people online, whether that's through marketing or even how you do your own interpersonal team meetings? Is there anything you can comment around that or even the use of apps yourself that you can share? You know, it's kind of a mixed answer. I'm actually just back to the restaurant this week. We've been closed for two months. So the way that I'm interacting with technology and virtual space is evolving as we speak. I definitely see a different relationship or a different acknowledgement in myself around my reliance on how I interact with customers online because I, I, don't, I don't have the fallback of relying on interacting with them in person anymore. We're planning to keep our dining room closed and I'm not interested in trying to reopen it and trying to navigate six foot distance and all of that at any point in the near future. So all we've got is our online relationship with our customers. And that's really hard for me to digest because it's not as fun as dealing with people in person. I recognize that it's important. It's evolving. It's something that I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to and wanting to make sure that I, that I get it right. And that people feel seen and heard online, which I think will be a, a new skill for me to have to pay attention to. Because again, the the neglect that, you know, that I've paid so much attention to avoiding in person now is going to be an online relationship that I'm going to have to pay attention to. Definitely. And as we move to, you know, wrap up this episode, I did want to give you some time to talk a little bit about, you know, some of the, the new work you're doing around leadership. Can you share just a little bit about what you're working on right now? I'm doing a lot of different things. I started serving as a regional advisor for all of Northern California for the SBDC. It was great timing because I was just about to onboard when shelter in place happened. So they rushed me through the process and I got to work with a lot of clients around accessing the PPP and the EIDL loans and figuring it all out. And God knows that was confusing. So I'm I'm doing entrepreneurial leadership work that way. I have my own consulting practice that I'm working on outside of LIBA. And I have this uh, role that I'm being trained for at Stanford, which is all about leadership. It's the, the interpersonal dynamics class within the organizational behavior department it has been the most popular class for 45 years in a row at the business school across the whole MBA program. The interpersonal dynamics class is the, is the favorite. And it's a really interesting experiential model where the students sit in a circle, about 12 students with two facilitators. I will be one of them. And we bring them through this process where they learn how to give and receive feedback and understand their impact on others through 
a really different method than they probably have before. So it's it's a really fascinating program to be a part of. It's a really famous program. It's it's very well known across MBA graduates, and over ninety percent of the students take it because it's so popular. So I'm, I just finished the first part of the training when Shelter in Place uh, happened, and I will be making my way back into the classrooms at some point in the future as as it opens up. But those are a few of the things I'm working on that are keeping me busy. That's awesome. You are yeah. definitely a wealth of information and wisdom. What's the best way if, if people have questions about, you know, the restaurant industry or, or leadership or their own interpersonal dynamics, you know, what's the best way that people can reach you? I can be reached through my consulting website. It's intenttoimpact.com. The two is the number two, intent to impact. Yeah, I'm happy to connect with anybody who wants entrepreneurial support. I also really recommend going through the SBDC to get advisors if people need support. It's totally free. It's a really great national program. I'm part of a restaurant-specific program that was just created last year, all the way from Santa Cruz to the Oregon border. And there's just a lot of support that way. So either either way, me, me directly or the SBDC website. Awesome. Well, it was really great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for for sharing uh, your wisdom with us and with our listeners. Yeah, it was great to talk with you guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day and we'll catch you next time on Hack My Business. If you are a California business owner seeking out resources and support, please visit our website, covid19biztools.com, which provides a comprehensive listing of grants, programs, and services for COVID-19 impacted businesses. You can also visit COVID19BizTools.com to let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. Just reach out to us on the contact page on the website. Have a great day, and we'll catch you next time on Hack My Business.